Howdy, folks. Today, we are going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Now, last week, as we examined 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, we were talking a little bit about how that fits into the context that Christians were being instructed by the Apostle Peter as strangers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust at war against soul. They were being instructed to have their conduct, their conversation honest, meaning virtuous, among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. And of course, we today need to learn from that, to live in this world in a godly way. Well, we talked about how that fits into verses 13 through 16, and further even as we will get down through verse 20. So we got to keep that in our contextual memory bank uh, there a little bit. So I want to tie some things in. In the first century, faithful Christians were being accused by those in authority, by those that were opposed to the gospel, as being troublemakers. For example, the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, 5 and 6, the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought them to bring them out to the people. And they found them not. They drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of, of the city, crying, These also that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. So what's going on in Acts chapter 17? Again, the Apostle Paul. He was teaching with Silas, and as that was going on, people were looking to bring about accusation, looking to bring about charge, looking to stop the gospel. Paul later wrote Timothy in an, in, in an unrelated uh, situation where he says, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Meaning he was being persecuted. He was being arrested as though he had done something wrong. He was being put into bonds as though he had done something wrong just for the sake of the gospel. But hey, it wasn't stopping the gospel. So their efforts were a fail. Civil authority was being used to persecute Christians. So as we go into our study today, we need to understand that background information, that what Peter is instructing is not about, hey, go out there and obey government because government is good. That's rarely the case. We're talking about an evil world, 1 John 5, 19. Governments are made up, generally speaking, of people of the world, right? So they are not good intended. They are not moral people. Our government here in the USA, other governments around the world are not made up of moral people, and they certainly were not in ancient times either. In fact, even when you went back to when God's people were supposed to be followers of him, most of the kings in the history of Israel did evil at some point in time or were just always entirely evil. The history of civil government on planet Earth is horrific. So these instructions are not about, hey, obey civil authority because civil authority is made up of good moral people doing good moral things. No, we're going to get to, as we go through this, why 
we obey civil law. And you will see that it is for our good, not, not the world's good per se, but for our good. And it makes a whole lot of sense in this context. Now, when we look at the scriptures, we don't want to be people who despise authority, who despise government. Unjust people are those types of people. And 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10, context of this and Jude that we're going to look at is false teachers, false brethren. 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We don't want to fall in that category. Likewise, Jude, verses 7 and 8, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. We don't want to be these individuals. You don't want to be compared to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you? Of course not. So we don't want to be people that look at civil government and despise it in general, meaning the idea of authority. And again, it's not that civil governments are just. Think of a couple of Bible examples. Back in 1 Kings chapter 21. Now, if you know the word Jezebel, you, you, you or the name Jezebel, you know that that's not associated with good things, right? She's the queen in essence. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1 beginning, it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So what we're going to do is we're going to read 1 Kings 21, 1 through 16. Here's what's going on. This man named Naboth, he has a vineyard that is right by the palace where Ahab, the king of Samaria is. Remember the Children of Israel divided back in 1 Kings chapter 12, and there were the northern and southern uh, kingdoms, the ten tribes, and then the two, Judah and Benjamin. And generally speaking, the history of the kings of Israel are evil. They follow in the ways of Jeroboam that began in chapter 12, and over and over and over and over and over again, that ends up, when you read all the way through to 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18, being the fall of of those 10 tribes. So with all of that in mind, 1 Kings 21:2, Ahab spake unto Naboth saying, "Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I'll give thee for a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money." So here is Ahab saying, "I want your property, even though the children of Israel were instructed not to move the landmarks, not to not to go and take somebody's inheritance." Let me have your property. I'll pay you for it or I'll give you something better in exchange. Naboth said they have, the Lord forbid me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Point blank truth that he spoke to the king. Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down upon his bed, turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel, his wife came to him and said unto him, why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, 
and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money or else, and if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Thus thou now govern the kingdom of Israel. Arise and eat bread. Let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So, hey, Jezebel, again, you just know the association that comes with the name, right? You just know this context isn't going to go for good. She tells her husband, I'm going to get you this land. And you just got to wonder, what kind of dude just just basically nods his head, uh-huh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is bad stuff, right? This, this is going to be uh, terrible. If you read down, before I even read further, if you go down later in this chapter to verse 25 of 1 Kings 21, it says, There was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. Oh, man. The next verse, he did very abominably and and following idols, according to all that he did, the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. What's the engine behind the evil of Ahab? His wife, Jezebel. So, verse 8 of 1 Kings 21. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and the nobles that nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. Did you hear her plot? Oh my goodness. I'm going to give you the vineyard that you want, honey. <laughs> he doesn't ask any questions. Context doesn't give us anything that suggests that he has any kind of rebuttal to what she's going to do. So she conspires to have this man killed. So verse 11, the many of the city, even the elders, the nobles who were in the inhabitants of the city did as Jezebel had sent unto them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast, set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even saying, Nahab, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city, stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up, go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. How horrific is that? That's government saying, we want your land and we're going to do what we need to do to get it. What? Government's not been good for thousands and thousands of years, right? There's agenda, there's motives, there's things going on that the people don't see, there's manipulation, there's just outright murder. Think about King Herod when he did not get the information of where Jesus, the baby Jesus was, in Matthew 2.16, Herod went, he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding raw, sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem 
and the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of these wise men. It's civil government, terrible, right? Here's the king, and, and we're going to be reading today to submit to the king and next week to honor the king. This context is not saying these are people worthy of honor. No, it is not about that. You need to grasp that. There are people today that say, I'm not going to pay my taxes because that tax money will go towards abortion. Listen, tax money for thousands of years has gone towards murder. It's not about that. It's not you're supporting the cause. Get that through your head. You're not. It's for your sake, as we're going to go through this text, that we are to obey civil government. It's so that we don't give them, like we talked about last week, we don't give them the proverbial stick to beat us with. If civil government wants to come after Christians and you're not paying your taxes, that's going to make you the target and that's going to give them their just reason for persecuting you. So you don't pay taxes because you, you agree with our evil government, whether Democrat, Republican, or independent. They're people of the world and they're doing bad things with our tax money, just like was in the case of Israel under Ahab, just like in the case under Herod, just like in the case under the Roman Empire, okay? In Acts 16, think about this. Verses 16 through 24, after the conversion example there of Lydia, it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. I, first of all, number one, you got to love this context. You, you see, this spirit is annoying Paul. So he cast the spirit out, right? Took days for it to happen. But it's not that the spirit was saying anything false. I mean, think about this spirit who is saying these are the servants of the Most High God will show the way of salvation. Just cast out, right? What's going to happen with this? Well, her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them in the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying these men, being Jews, so, so now they create uh, a prejudice, do exceedingly trouble our city. Remember we talked about it at the onset of our study. That's what Christians are being accused of in the first century, okay? And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. So what do they do? They set at odd, number one, they're teaching things that are that, that, that are based in, in as them being Jews, even though Paul and Silas aren't teaching Judaism, they're teaching the faith in Christ, Right? Second of all, the division that we're Romans. So the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes, commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them in the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Paul and Silas did nothing wrong, cast out a demon who brought gain to the people. And then government was used Government was used by false accusation to bring about persecution 
on Paul and Silas. Now, if you go on to read, there's the conversion of the Philippian jailer here, and it's great context, but that's not the point of our lesson. Civil authorities have not been just, even with that background. So we don't have excuse here. You need to catch that. You don't have excuse here. You can't say our government's evil. Wherever you live in this world, you cannot say, I'm not going to obey because they're evil. You know what happens when there's not civil authority, whether just or unjust? People do whatever they want. In the book of Judges, chapter 17 and verse 6, and then 21 and verse 25, says, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Both verses say that. Think about that. That's the role of civil government, to keep chaos from occurring. As with all things, God is our standard of authority. So this lesson is not intended to say obey civil government over, over God. That's never going to be the case. When the apostles were commanded not to preach Christ anymore by civil authority, even though they had the power to imprison them, charge them, Acts 5, 27 to 29, when they brought them, that is the apostles, before the council and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in his name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So as we go through this lesson, keep these two points in your mind. We're not saying that civil government is just. And we're not saying that their authority trumps God's. When we look at the authority of Christ, Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, was the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The authority of Christ is above man's authority. Okay, we got to grasp that. In the overall, we can't try to put man above the Father or the Son. The standard is deity, okay? Nor... Can we try to manipulate the scriptures in a way that we can please God and man? Paul in Galatians 1.10, he said, For I do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Now, there is a way in which we please men, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 22-33, when it comes to authorized liberties. That's not what Paul is talking about in the context of Galatians 1.10. He's talking about their departure from the doctrine of Christ. So we cannot please men in a way that would cause us to separate ourselves from the teachings of our Lord. So with all of that in mind, that's quite an introduction, 19 minutes and 30 seconds or so. Our text, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16, says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king, we're going to talk about more on that, verse 17 next week, as supreme, so you know, in the first century, the king was the supreme ruler, right? Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, 
and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. So here's our explanation for the Lord's sake. So is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see, if man is able to accuse us of transgression as Christians and say that we live in an unruly and ungodly way, then we as Christians are allowing the name of God to be spoken of evilly. Think about Romans 2.24 to the hypocritical Jews. says, for the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. We don't want to be Christians who allow the name of God to be thrown out for evil, okay? So we obey these civil authorities because they have the ability to punish evildoers. So we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men in that they have nothing that they can say about us justly. That goes back to what we were talking about last week, right? Whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So let me finish the reading of 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16. It says, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Let's break it down. Submitting ourselves to the ordinance of men. The ordinance there means created or established institution. So that which is created of man or the king or the governors because they're in place to punish evildoers. Titus 3.1 says, put them in mind. This is Paul to Titus an evangelist telling Titus as an evangelist to teach. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. So evangelists have the charge, teach the brethren to obey civil authority. Look, civil authority exists for the punish of evildoers. This, this is God allowing us to focus on the spiritual, so to our benefit rather than the carnal. If something happens to us, instead of taking justice into our own hands, we take that to civil authorities. Think about what it does for this for us. In Romans 12, verse 17 through chapter 13 and verse 4, it says, recompense to no man evil for evil. So we'll get into this as we go through 1 Peter even more. But rather than me have to seek vengeance, notice how the context goes on. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, what a great qualifier there. As much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, so the Christian might say, yes, but they broke into my house. They did this, they did this, they did this. I know they're going to get it in the day of judgment, but what about today? Well, Romans 13, verse 1 through 4. So the continuation of this context let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So the authority that exists, as this context is going to outline, and, and civil authority was created by God. He said, Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, that they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. 
Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So the context is, rather than me having to execute vengeance, God's going to do it in the judgment, and civil authority is going to do it on earth. That doesn't mean they're always going to do it. It doesn't mean that civil authorities are just. This is the Apostle Paul that by the time he writes this letter to the saints in Rome has seen the abuse of civil authority multiple times. The Holy Spirit, who is the author of these scriptures, has seen many, 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 many cases, some of which we've talked about and many of which are not recorded in the Bible, of the abuse of civil authority. Okay? So don't go excusing yourself. Don't say, yeah, but the courts don't punish uh, evildoers the way they ought to. Right. And they haven't for thousands of years. But that is their purpose. That is their point of existence. Rather than you end up before them, see to it that only evildoers end up before them. We continue on in our thought process here. Along with all men, we're supposed to be thankful for and pray for the salvation of all men, including our government officials, for them to be saved. You know what that does for us? Going back into Romans 12, 17 and following, it allows us not to have a vengeful mindset. What if the civil authorities come and claim eminent domain on my property? I don't think any one of us would be happy with that unless you just hate your house. <laughs> but, but wherever it is you live, whether you own your rent, you don't necessarily want to be kicked out because the government wants your property, whether it's because like back with Jezebel and Ahab or, or if they want to put a road right through your house and they decide they're going to, to just take your land, whether they give you anything for it, whatever the conversation is, rather than us get all worked up and upset, you know, here in El Paso right now, if you're watching the local news or if you probably national news is covering some of this, I would imagine to some degree, probably not quite to the extent of integrity because our media, like our government, isn't just. Uh, but hey, us taxpayers here in El Paso are footing the bill for people that are crossing into the country illegally, and they're here in great abundance. We're putting them up, meaning through tax money, uh, in hotels, and the local government has purchased facilities, and they're talking about opening up others. Just our money going by the wayside. There's other abuses of money. The Socorro Independent School District that I live in, El Paso has a bunch of school districts, large city. Um, it's reported in the news that uh, the Socorro Independent School District is going to be spending thousands and thousands of dollars to replace catalytic converters that have been stolen off of school buses. That's our tax money. Well, you got to ask, where are they parking these buses that they're getting catalytic converters stolen from? Who's stealing them? What's going on here in the city of El Paso? Why aren't our government officials doing what they should be doing to protect our tax money? Now, we can get all worked up about that, which is why it's good to turn off the news. Or we can take what Paul told Timothy. I want you to think about this from the aspect of an evangelist. As an evangelist, 
who is going to be persecuted by those in authority. As an evangelist who has observed his beloved mentor and brother, father in the faith, the Apostle Paul, be unjustly arrested over and over again. Timothy is being told to do this. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. I exhort, therefore, that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Listen to the purpose there, okay? And, and this is a great part of something that we ought to understand, right? When we are thankful, when we are prayerful, it allows us to have a tranquility. That is what the word quiet there means. And peaceful, meaning, you know, quiet, tranquil. So it's like a, a re repetition there, right? An undisturbing peace. If I'm prayerful for those in authority and hoping that they will be saved, as we're going to read down in verse four, that helps me release some of that hostility that I might have because of what they are unjustly doing. So verse three says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come in the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and I lie not, a teacher of Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy, meaning pure, clean, hands without wrath and doubting. So listen, instead of getting all worked up about what's going on in the world, pray for God to be long-suffering because that is God's end of that stick, 2 Peter 3.10, or no, not 3.10, 3.9, says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slack, but long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So rather than getting all worked up and wanting to go out and create some kind of civil uprising against government. Pray for them as you do all men. Keeping them in the scope of your mind as lost people that need to be saved. So we are to submit to ordinance of men, not taking matters in our own hands, prayerful that they will be saved, even when they're abusing us but in an obedient fashion. And yes, like I brought up earlier, even when it comes to taxation. In Matthew 22, 15 through 22, this, this is just great. Went the Pharisees and they took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk, that, that is Jesus. And they sent unto him their disciples with Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is the image and transcription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's, when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Think about that. Just 
Just think on what was just said there, right? Give unto Caesars the things which are Caesars. That's real simple, isn't it? <laughs> Look at your money. I know we're getting into a time where a lot of people don't carry cash anymore, but who's on our currency? The leaders of the past. Give it to them. So as we look through 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16, that part's pretty clear. I want to talk about the phrase, for the praise of them that do well. Government praising them that do well. Whether it's the Roman Empire or the United States of America, in general, government appreciates the ruly citizens. If we keep our heads down and our mouths shut and we're not causing problems, we're beneath the radar, so to speak, right? Proverbs 14, 34 and 35 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against them that causes shame. If we stay in a place where we're not causing our rulers grief, we're going to stay under the radar. We ought to know to be wise, to stay in our lane. Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, If the spirit of the ruler rises up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Stay submissive. Stay in your lane. Keep your seat. That wisdom that we gain from that will pacify rulers. In Proverbs 16, 14, and 15, it says, The wrath of a king is as a messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. And the light of the king's countenance is life. His favor is as of a cloud of the later rain. Look, as much as a government may be corrupt, think about uh, our trial system here in America. A lot of places have a three strikes and you're out uh, rule of law because repeat offenders are more heavily judged even by our unjust government. Why? Because they're a problem in society and they make the rulers look bad. The wrath of our rulers like messengers of death or in Proverbs 20 verse 2 the fear of a king is the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. <laughs> Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Because we will gain praise, and maybe not verbally, but government appreciates those that stay in their lane. Now, there are things that naturally are going to put us as odds against the government when we stand for the truth, Right? That may put us on the radar. That's something we have to do. But in other things, we don't have to be the voice. We can be the silence. One of the reasons that we want to do so is to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In Matthew 17, 25 through 27, he saith, yes, when, yes, when he was coming to his house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free, notwithstanding. Lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast a hook, take up the fish that first cometh up. 
when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give it unto them for me and thee. So hey, go pay the taxes. Jesus provides the money miraculously. I know we're not going to do that. But what's that do? It takes the ability of the government to lay a charge against Jesus. Back to that, give unto Caesar the things which are Caesar that we read in Matthew 22, 15 through 22. If the Lord Jesus Christ would have responded to those seeking to entrap him, the Pharisees that were trying to entangle his talk, if he would have said something like, I'm Jesus, I don't pay taxes to any man, that would have allowed the charge to be made. Like if we today were to say, we're Christians, we don't support evil. Why do you think the IRS exists? In part, not in total, the IRS does a lot of different things, but in part to come after those that don't pay their taxes. Don't give men the ability to make charges against us. We talked about that in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Understand that they're already going to try at times, especially when we're righteously teaching the truth. In Luke 23, 1 through 4, a whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. This is Jesus being led to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Now look, we just saw Jesus... Jesus paid his taxes. This is how they do it. Saying that he himself is Christ a king. Pilate asked him saying, art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, thou sayest. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and the people, I find no fault in him. Now we know Pilate didn't want to kill Jesus, but the Jews kept pushing and pushing and pushing to the point where he caved in. But look at how they sought to bring charges. If we can go to the Romans just like we saw in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas, if we can go to the Romans and saying they're opposing Caesar, then the Romans are going to come after Jesus. Learn, learn people. Don't give government the stick to beat you with. And don't use being a Christian as your excuse. That's where as free, not using your liberty, your freedom in Christ, for a cloak, which means a covering, of maliciousness, which means evil. In Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. We are not free in Christ to be carnal. We are free in Christ not to go out and use that as an excuse to do sinful things. There were those that turned the grace of God into a means to commit sin. Think about Jude verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our, of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. They took the grace of God and they turned it into a means by which they could commit sin. Don't be those who do that, who are going to be condemned. Don't be that person who turns in the grace of God into a vice for filthy, unbridled lust to do what you want to do. Don't, don't go down that road. When we think about the saints in Rome, they were told in Romans 6, 1 and 2, what should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then in verses 15 and 16 of Romans 6, same chapter. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself service to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. We are not supposed to go out in this world and be worldly, be sinful, be carnal, and then turn around and say, I was set free from sin to be like this. That's contrary to why you're set free from sin. A couple of verses later in Romans 6, verse 18 says, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. We're free from sin, but we are still servants. Servants of who? 1 Corinthians 7, 22. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servants. So we are free, but we are still servants. Our subjection, therefore, is necessary because him whom we serve told us. We shouldn't need an explanation. Jesus says, obey civil law. That should be the end of it, right? Peter is giving us reason, though. He's giving us the opportunity to think things through. So one of the things he says and, and, and puts forth here to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men if we tie into other thoughts, our subjection, for example, in Romans 13, 5 and 7, is for conscience sake. It says, wherefore, ye must needs be subject. Remember, if we read verses 1 through 4 of Romans 13. Wherefore, ye must be subject to civil authority in the context, not only for wrath, so not just for fear of what they'll do, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I can be free and clear of conscience if I'm obeying. The right attitude, Paul said in Acts 24, 16, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. I'm doing everything I can to be free and conscious, not looking over my shoulder, not thinking, uh-oh, when are they coming for me? I mean, you've already got that, right? With unjust government, there's the chance that they're going to come after just people. Do not give yourself further concern. In 1 Peter 2.19, when, when, when we get uh, into this lesson here in a couple weeks, talking about being servants, says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Be somebody who, if you're suffering, you know that you're suffering because you're living righteously, not because you've done something wrong. 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak of evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you of good conversation in Christ. I used this verse last week. I'm using it again here. Why? Because it's fit. Live so that your conscience is clear, so that you know you did nothing, so that you can stand before men and say, I am innocent. Not just as a plea before a judge intended to get your trial to go further, but as an answer of a good conscience. Look, these qualifiers are in place so that Christians do not end up being anarchists, so that we don't become opposed to civil authority. Because there are people that can go to scriptures 
And I, I have seen it, have heard it, have had Bible studies with people that, hey, the Bible says not to conform to this world, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the Bible says not to obey man, you know, Colossians 2, 20 through 23. If you're dead with Christ, remember it's the world. Why is though living in the world? Are you subject or just taste not? Handle not, which are all the prayers of the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things indeed have a show of wisdom and will worship, humility and neglecting of the body, not in honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Those contexts are not authority to disobey civil government. I mean, my goodness, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is in the context of a letter written that tells you to obey civil authority. <laughs> but people will still try to do that. They'll try to use their liberty in Christ to cover up their evil doing. Don't do that. As Christians, we're to be the peacemakers, not the troublemakers, right? Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called the children of God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's who we're to be. That's who we're to be. The context, the context of, our, of, of our verses here the context doesn't conclude. We're going to continue in the context next week. But our lesson, so maybe bad wording there, concludes with, but as the servants of God. Hey, look, again, obey man, but remember whose servants you are, right? Hebrews 12, 28, 29, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. This is going to work into our lesson next week where we're going to talk about honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Fear God's right in the midst of that because in all that we do and service in this world, God has to be at the forefront. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you're bought with a price. Be not the servants of men. Now, we're going to see next week where there is servants to men, meaning slaves or servants uh, as it is there. Somebody who's a domestic household servant, somebody who lives under the house of another person under their authority in any way, shape, or form that they may be. There are those that are put in the work of service. Be subject to your master. We're going to talk about that next week, but do so in a way where he is not ultimately your master, where God is still the one whom you serve chiefly. And if you find yourself in a situation wherein you are put up to the challenge of, do I serve God or man? You are always going to pick serving God. There's a great account in Daniel chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole account, but the whole chapter, all 30 verses, is just awesome. But in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and he made this image out of gold. And he put it in place. And the princes, the governors, the captains, everybody under him, they, they, they were to worship this, right? So... There was a time of year where they were going to sound the instrument and people were to fall down and worship. And as that is set up, there were certain people that wanted to bring charges against the Jews in Daniel 3 and verse 8. So they told Nebuchadnezzar, 
that when the sound of the instruments are made and people are to uh, fall down and worship, if they don't, you need to cast them into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, they did this because there were certain people that were put in charge that were Jews, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they weren't bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. So Nebuchadnezzar questioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love what they said. Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of the hand, O king. But if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, neither worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The form of his visage had changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he commanded they put in the furnace seven times more to be heated up. Well, they did this, and if you know the account, God delivers them out of that fiery furnace. What I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is even if God didn't deliver them, they were not going to bow down before the image that the king had set up. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a great example and the one that we who claim to be Christ are to follow. If man says bow down and do anything that would put us contrary to the will of God, we must remember that first and foremost, we are God's servants. And in those cases, we cannot obey God, or obey man over God. I hope this study has been good for you. Next week, we'll pick up with verse 17 that I'd already read to you during the course of the podcast. We're going to stay in the context. Good stuff. Some of it's going to be a repeat of what we talked about today, but good stuff to think about. Very important that it's recorded in the scriptures. We want to take it and apply it, especially in these days where for us who are, who are Christians, especially living in the USA, where we see our civil government just more and more morally decaying, we need to remind ourselves to be subject for conscience sake, and for the Lord's sake, we need to obey civil authority. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if all goes according to plan, I'll have a podcast out on Tuesday about Sabbath day keepers. If, if everything goes according to plan, I hope you'll tune in and listen to that. Thank you. And till then, I say goodbye. <music>